I think of all the ways that I blew it on Sunday, and then I begin to think, okay, well, I've got a full week to recover and redeem myself. But at that particular point, I, I got to admit, as I begin to kind of go over what I would be teaching on this morning and preaching on this morning, um, I begin to become a little bit overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed because of the subject matter of what I'm preaching about this morning. And my intention in what I hope to do is to be able to teach you uh, from the Word of God as clearly as I possibly can of what the roles of elders are. That is what our elders supposed to do according to the Word of God and according to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I'm saying this in light of last week. If you didn't hear the sermon last week, please go back and listen to it. Last week, what we talked about was we talked about authority in governance in the church. That who has authority in the church? And what we said was that the church as a whole, underneath the authority of Jesus Christ, has authority in the local church. And they, with that authority, according to the word of God, set apart for themselves or out from themselves leaders. And the scriptures call these leaders elders. Once the congregation sets them apart... Then what happens is then the congregation as a whole willfully submits to the leadership of those elders, and those eldership elders lead the people. So the next obvious question then is this, how are they to lead the congregation? What does that look like? What are they specifically being able, what are they specifically called to do? And let me suggest this, this is a very difficult task that I have this morning. And the reason is because we come from some very diverse backgrounds. Would you agree? and especially different kinds of denominations. We are here a Southern Baptist church, just in case you were wondering. We were like, really? I've been here for five years. I didn't know that. No, a Southern Baptist church. And, and if you grew up like me, like kind of in that Southern Baptist type thing, then what happens is when you begin to talk about like elders, it's kind of stumps you a little bit because most likely you grew up never even hearing the word, right? So we talk about pastors, not elders. You know, what else was confusing to me is I began to get older, I'd meet friends from different churches, and they would talk about the elders, plural, and I would be like, plural? And he goes, yeah, we have several pastors. I go, you have several pastors? I'm like, we only have one pastor. They go, you only have one pastor that lead? And I go, well, we got a pastor, but then we have this other group of people that we call deacons, and they're kind of like these old men that kind of like get together, and I'm not really sure if they like each other, but somehow they're working it out. I'm not sure how that all goes. So if you're Southern Baptist, you kind of know how some of that works, right? And so for me, that's kind of how it looked. And then, then they would talk about like these lay elders, and these were guys that like led the church, but like they were like an electrician. And I was like, what? How could you even be called a minister or an elder and have like a secular job? The only way you could be a true bona fide minister is if you're full time and the ministry prayed, paid by the church. But those are kinds of things that are confusing to us. And obviously people kind of disagree. But I think it's because lots of times we don't spend enough time in the word of God. I think, as we saw last week, when you slowly work through the scriptures, carefully work through the scriptures, you find out that the Bible really does teach in a lot of places and a lot of evidence for a plurality of elders. That is multiple pastors within a particular church. There may be a first among equals or one primary teacher, whatever it is, but the Bible does say, hey, listen, equip or set apart for yourself elders in each church. That's a plurality of elders. We also find that like Paul, Paul knew that he had a right to be able to make a living as a minister of the gospel, but he said, for your sakes, not to be a burden to you, he goes, I'm a tent maker. 
So we even see in the word of God that there's even evidence for there to be elders and pastors that don't work full-time in the church, but work another job and then also lead inside of the church. Now, I want to make sure that I'm completely clear about something this morning, and that is I'm not here to be able to argue a single elder or single pastor model over a plurality of elders, a lot of elders, three or five, ten, whatever it is. That's not my point. I think that here's the key. No matter how you work this out in a church, whether you have one pastor, you have three pastors, or you have ten pastors, what needs to be true is that they meet the qualifications that the Bible lays out in the Word of God, and they function as the Bible says that they ought to function. That is, that they can do and they do the job that God has called them to. Does that make sense? So whether it's one or whether it's ten, uh, you say, how many elders we have? We have as many qualified capable elders as a church can have if they're not qualified if they cannot do the job then i don't know care what it looks like or how we argue it they cannot be an elder in a church so obviously you see all this already this is a little overwhelming especially when i have to explain it but what was probably more overwhelming to me as i sat there is my own personal call of god when i sat down and began to think about these particular roles that we're going to go over this morning I begin to be convicted in my own heart. And the only thing that I can really explain it as is that holy kind of fear inside of your heart. When you realize at that moment that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for how I ultimately led the, the, or helped lead Celebration Baptist Church, that is heavy. I mean, really, really heavy. And so what I want to say is in, in light of all that, in the fact that very soon we're going to be asking you as a congregation of members of this church to set apart for yourselves elders, nominate elders in the church, people that you believe that could fit the role, meet the qualifications of an elder in the church to lead. In light of all of that, I think I need to do a lot more work right now telling you two things. One is, what is an elder to do? How is he supposed to lead specifically this week? And next week, we're going to go over meticulously uh, and hopefully not painfully uh, the qualifications of an elder so that I can equip you to do what God has called you to do, and that is to set apart from yourselves elders that will rule well. Does that make sense? So that's what we want to be able to do. Let me just make sure that I clarify something really quick in case you don't really know much about our church. Uh, first of all, when I talk about an elder or a pastor, I've already been sw sw switching those up. I mean the same thing. If I say pastor, I mean elder. If I say elder today, I mean pastor. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, uh, I believe that when the Word of God uses, it uses different names like elder, pastor, bishop, overseer. It's speaking of the same role within a church. It's talking about the leader of a church. It's just different names. So if I flip-flop in between all those, I'm meaning the same thing. Second thing I want to make sure that we're perfectly clear about is that we at Celebration do practice a plurality of elders. It is based on the Constitution. I, I came in on this baby, all right? So it, this church has been set up as a plurality of elders, and I, I, I think it's good. I think we have to do some tweaking there, um, but I think it's good, and I think it's biblical. And so we do have five elders here at Celebration. We have three what you might call staff elders. That's, my, my, um, I'm, that's poor grammar if I start with myself. So uh, it, it's Dan, Pastor Dan, Pastor Chris. Chris, raise your hand. All right, right there. Uh, uh, myself. Hey. All right, uh, myself. We have two lay elders, which are Jimmy Black and Ronnie Jones. Is Jimmy in here yet? No. Oh, there he is, Jimmy. Raise your hand. 
the large mountain of a man in the back. Yes, sir. All right. Jimmy Black and then Ronnie Jones, he was in the first service. So we have five elders. Okay. Now, I want to make sure this is perfectly clear. As least as I understand the scriptures, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am in this, there is really no difference between those elders as far as the word of God lays it out. And what I mean by that is we might have some, 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 some differences here and there, but the major difference is what we do for a living. God has allowed some of those elders to make a living through the ministry of the word. That's the staff elders. But there are two of them that God has allowed, like Brother Jimmy, provided a really good, wonderful job for him to be able to work outside of the church, to be able to support he and his family. But at the same exact time, he and Ronnie are still fully elders in our church. They're not some subsection of elders or, or whatever. I, I want to make sure that that's what we mean by that. However, and, and this is what I mean is, but we all have to have the same qualifications and we all have to say, fulfill the same call of God on our life as far as leading and administrating his church, okay? Now, obviously, there are differences. Those staff elders that we have here, myself, Dan, and Chris, obviously, we're here full-time, so we have more daily responsibilities and things that we're doing. I have a unique kind of set apart to be able to be the primary teaching pastor here at Celebration. So I'm not saying that those things aren't different. But what I'm saying is, as far as being an elder, they are very much elders as those who are on staff are elders. So the ones that we're calling, that you're going to be equipping, are going to be lay elders as well. But just because they're working a secular job doesn't mean that they're any less a leader in the house of God. Does that make sense? That makes sense? I'm not saying if you agree. I'm just saying that that's, I'm letting you know who, here we are and how we do it. Look, it's hard for me to get out of the whole my history thing going, how in the world can a guy who's not full-time ministry not uh, be, an, be an elder? He's just like a helper. No, uh, the word of God. Look, most churches, just get out of America for a while. Across the world, most pastors in every church work a full-time secular job in order to be able to come and minister to the people. I want you to understand that, okay? So get out of our like weird kind of culture, okay? Just for a second. So we need to understand that. So with all that said, what is an elder to do? He is to lead the flock. He's to lead them, all right? Now, how does he ultimately lead them? Well, he leads in three ways. First of all, he leads by feeding the flock. Now, contrary to what some of you might be thinking right now or how you grew up, Elders in a church is not a group of mysterious men who hide in the shadows, who meet in boardrooms, and who make decisions that they force upon the necks of the rest of the church to fulfill and to be able to do. Okay, that's not really elders. Elders, first and foremost, are leaders, but here's the key. They are servant leaders. They are servant leaders. They are to wear themselves out serving God and serving the people, all right? They are not to be hidden. They are to be out front. They are to be visible. They are to be amongst the people. It's no little boardroom doing all this kind of jazz. It's not it. They're supposed to be out before the people. And the primary way in which they lead the people is through and serve the people is through the ministry of the word, of the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. 1 Timothy 3, 2. There Paul is writing to Timothy and he's giving the qualifications of an elder. And he says one of the primary qualifications of an elder is that he must be able to teach. He must be able to teach. Then when he's writing to Titus in Titus 1.9, he 
he says of elders, he says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So you see what he's saying here. He says, look, these guys need to know the word and they need to be able to teach the word. That's one of their primary ways in which they serve is through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Now, how they do that may be different. There may be some that do it in small groups. There may be some that do it in one-on-one. There may be some that preach to the whole congregation, and they may flip that up from one to the other. But the bottom line, with all of that said, they must be leading through the teaching of the Word of God. Now, here's one thing I I, want to point out to you. Elders, as they preach through the Word of God, and as they lead, they're not to be forcefully demanding their way. Pastors are not supposed to be bullying the congregation and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. It's my way or the highway. That's it. That's not the attitude of an elder. Let me, let me say Peter warns against this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shame, shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, notice this phrase, not domineering over those who are in charge, but being examples of the flock. So here's what he says, every elder, no matter who they are, what they need to be able to do is lead the church through the word of God. They teach the word of God. They, 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 they teach it very clearly in many different ways, but here's what else they have to do. They have to live out the word of God. So it can't be just, hey, guys, we know the word of God. Here it is. Go and do it. They are supposed to be a living, breathing example of what the word of God teaches. They're supposed to live that out in their home. They're supposed to live that out in public. They're supposed to live that out in their jobs with other people. They're they're not perfect by any means or any stretch. But what you should see in their life is there is a picture of an elder who's submitting himself in his whole life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We should all be doing that, but this is a specific requirement must be had of an elder. Now, so he preaches it. He lives it out. But notice again how he does it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul, Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So when he preaches it, he has to preach it with patience. Now I'm going to give you two kind of examples of these two points. When it says that he's not supposed to be domineering his people and forcing his people, let me give you an example of this. When we were just about to get into this building about four or five years ago, um, Many of you were getting on my cotton picking nerves, okay? I'm just telling you that, all right? All the leaders were getting on each other's nerves because that's what happens when you move from one place to the next, okay? Uh, when, when we're trying to get in the building and some people are like, well, it was effortless. All we had to do is just show up here instead of there. Well, some people had to make all that work, right? So we had people in the church. They're trying to get in the church. They're trying to make sure that the county is approving everything. We've got, we've got stuff with the alarms going on. That's not getting approved. Water's not right. We have to have some stupid key so the fire people can get in, not whatever. It's not stupid. It's just me being frustrated. And so what happens, the body comes together, and we're just about, we're just nitpicking each other. You guys got that, right? Well, what do you, you were supposed to do this, and, ah, you know, and really, that's what family does, right? You were supposed to bring the slaw. No, you were supposed, you know, and, and so we were kind of coming together at this, and I remember getting so frustrating. I remember talking with one of our elders out in, in, in the sanctuary out here, and this is what I said. I said, I'm so frustrated right now. I just wish people would do what I was calling them to do, I'm their pastor. If they would just submit and do what I'm, t- I'm just, look, I-, I had a slip of mind for a moment, okay? And-, and I said, if they would just do what I'm telling them to do, everything would be okay. 
And this elder, it was Ronnie Jones, he just very lovingly, praise God, and very graciously just came and said, Pastor, you don't have to tell us that you're in control. Just lead, man. We'll follow. You just live it out. Just lead us. Just show us what it is that you want to do. You don't need to confirm that you're the one that is ultimately in charge. And isn't that true? You know, whenever you have to remind everybody that you're in control, guess what? You're not in control. If you're doing and you're leading, he says, this is what a pastor is supposed to be. He's living this out. Let me give you another example about this idea of patience. He's living it out. He's preaching it. He's living it out. He's doing it with much patience. And this is the thing. You know, the older I get, it seems like the more patient I get. I I don't know why that is. Things don't bug me as much as they used to. I used to want to fight over everything before. No, that's theologically wrong. You know, I mean, it just says, I want to fight over everything. Now I still sit there and go, well, I think that's theologically wrong, but... It's just not a hill in which to die. Do you understand? There's certain things that you really have to drive home. You need to save those. And so I remember somebody asking me, they said, well, Brother Mike, what do you think was the difference between you pastoring your previous church and this church? And I'm like, well, other than everything, um, you know, almost everything was different. The people, the same very sweet people, you guys are just infinitely more sweet. Okay, just, just so you understand that, try to get that in. And, um, and, but here, I think, was the big deal. I was completely different between the two churches. You know, if you don't know this, uh, my first church, I was able to lead from 80 to 40 all by myself in six months. I did that all by myself. It was awesome. Um, And here, you know, the Lord has blessed, not because of me, but in spite of me, has blessed, taking about 100 folks and now, you you know, averaging over 500. Praise God for that. And he gets all the glory for that. But they said, what's different? And I said, if there was gonna be one thing different in my leadership, here's what it was. When I first got into a church, and pastors make this mistake all the time, they show up and they begin to tell everybody how it's going to be. They show up and they say, here's what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do over here. And then what they do is they begin to teach, they make the change, and then what they begin to do is they preach on why they ultimately had to make that change. Well, guess what? The people aren't hearing a thing that you're talking about because they're ticked off because you changed something. You guys got that, right? You're not as responsive as the first crowd, so I don't know if you're mad or whatever it is. Uh, you'll get over it. I love you. And so um, you always do and love you so much. So, so what happens is then I realized I was like, you know, it was almost like some of you may know this is kind of like a George Costanza moment where they're like, okay, do everything opposite of your natural inclination. So I was like, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll just do the reverse of that. We won't make changes until we absolutely preach on this thing to death. We're to teach and talk and train the people, and then we're going to ultimately be able to make the changes and bring changes to where we need to be. And so for me, for the most part, that's what I've tried to do here. I've tried to just preach and preach and preach and preach. And you know what has happened many times? After preaching the whole counsel of the word of God, many of you who are even sitting here will come up to me as a pastor and go, bro, I don't know why we're not doing this. It's very clear in the word of God. Why don't we make this change? Do you see that? And so there is this idea of this elder coming. He's got to preach the word. He's got to be able to teach the word. He's, he's got to live it out. And while he's doing it, he's got to be the utmost patience. He can't be frustrated with people all the time. Patience, just like the same grace that's shown to him every day, he's got to bend that out and show it to the people that he's serving. I'm trying to give you a picture of who you are to be setting apart. And this is, this is his responsibility. And why does, he do it, why does he do it? He does it out of love for Christ and a love for the people. In John 21, 15, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus and his disciples are all down by the beach. I love this thing. Can you imagine? Jesus cooks breakfast, a fish sandwich for the disciples. How cool would that be, right? What'd you do today? Well, Jesus cooked breakfast. Was it good? Oh, fantastic. It was, he, he made it and he cooked it. It was incredible. And so um, what'd he do? And so um, 
so they're down there, and they're down, you know, by the thing. Jesus cooks all of this, and, and uh, he turns to Peter in the middle of it, and, you know, good old Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you, you know I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. A minute later, another fish sandwich bite. Peter, do you love me? Lord, Lord, you know I love you. I'm only putting up with this because I did the whole three thing before, denial. I'm only putting up with this now because, oh, I get it. Yes, you know I love you. And he goes, then feed my sheep. Then a third time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Why the three times? We understand there's a correlation between his denial three times and his profession of love for him three times. We get that. But I think what's so important there is he says, I want you to demonstrate your love for me in one primary way, and that is to preach and teach the word of God to my people. They need the life-giving word. So it's interesting to me because we have to kind of change our view sometimes of pastors. Because I got to tell you this, because pastors are supposed to be among the people, but they also have to be in their study. And let me tell you, as a pastor, let me tell you where my heart is. When I'm in the study, I want to be with the people. When I'm with the people, I want to be in the study. <laughs> Not because I don't, like, I don't like the people, but because I'm sitting there, but at the same time, my heart is yearning because I know that, that, that I have to feed the sheep. I, I, I keep kind of going back and forth between those two things. And so what happens is, is it's interesting to me, is in, and I grew up like this, you hear people complain about pastors all the time. Well, you know, he, the old pastor used to sit for five hours on the swing on the back porch drinking iced tea. What's wrong with this one? He just seems to want to be in the study all the time and studying the word of God. Now, our last preacher, he couldn't preach worth a lick. This guy preaches great, but what about the sweet tea and the swing? And so what I want to tell them sometimes is sitting there and going, look, the pastor should somehow be doing both. But if I was a congregation, I would be looking for a man sit there and go, hey, we're going to be fine. We're within the body. We have community with the body. Preacher, just prepare. Just prepare so that we can be fed. Isn't the saddest thing? We've had people come here uh, time and time again that will sit there and go, Brother Mike, I know we're supposed to feed ourselves, but at the same time, isn't the pastor supposed to feed us? And I've gotten into arguments and pastors even in this community and sit there and go, man, it's not my responsibility to feed the people. They're supposed to learn to feed themselves. I'm like, bro, have you read the same Bible that I'm reading? Our job is to feed. Do you have a responsibility to feed yourself? Yes. But all elders, not just me, not just Brother Jimmy, not just Dan, not just, but all the ones that you are going to be setting apart, they have to lead by feeding the sheep a consistent diet of the word of God. Number two, how else do they lead? They lead by feeding the flock. Number two, they lead by protecting the flock. Now turn your Bibles, if you will, this morning to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I want to draw your attention. Let me set up the context for you just very quickly. Context is important here. Paul is about to leave Asia Minor, leave Asia Minor kind of for the last time. And as he leaves, he, he gathers the elders together for some final instruction. There's some things that he wants to say to them, that he wants to share with them. And so when he gathers them together, he says this in verse 28. Paul, Paul, Paul writes, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made, you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after you. 
So he talks about the flock. When he speaks of a flock, he's speaking of the congregation. You guys got that? When he speaks of wolves, he's talking about false teachers, false prophets. He's using it in the same way that Jesus Christ himself used it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, when he gave the warning, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. From the very offset of the birth of the church, very early in church history, Look, look, we're still in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. There are still false teachers that are trying to infiltrate the church, treat, teach false doctrine to be able to draw people away from the faith. Okay, I mean, that's, we're not even out of the book of Acts and this stuff is happening. And so what we find is, the, what, what Paul says is he says, pastors, elders, the ones that you're going to be setting aside, one of the primary responsibilities that you have is to protect the flock from false doctrine and false teaching. You must protect them. Now, if you are going to protect people from false doctrine, then you must what? Be able to identify false doctrine. So you know what this teaches us? That not only must he teach it, but he must know it and he must know it well. He must be sound in his theology. He, must know, he, he cannot be a novice when it comes to the word of God. Being an elder is not the time, hey, let me go ahead and work out all my theology now. No, that needs to be worked out and needs to be solid. It needs to be grounded. The reason he's able to identify false teaching is because he knows what? True teaching. It's very much like, for example, if some of you work with money, maybe you work at a bank. My brother-in-law uh, works for the Secret Service. Shh, don't tell anybody it's a secret. Um, but, but many of us don't know that was really dumb. Uh, and I didn't do it in the first service, and that's probably why. So um, secret service, we always think of them on presidential detail, you know, that kind of thing. And that is something what they do. But really the reason that they first began and first started was because it had to deal with counterfeit money, tracking down counterfeit money. And so what they do is when you ask, well, how did they teach you that? And they said, well, what they do is they sit you down with money, and then you learn what real money looks like. You study the real thing so much and so detailed and you know every nook and cranny so that if there's somebody that's trying to pass something off as real, even the smallest little blemish you will check and you notice that it's wrong. And he says, and that's exactly what a pastor is supposed to be doing because understand something, guys. I, I, I want you to hear what my heart is. False teaching is not usually blatant. It's rather subtle. And I think that's what the church forgets about a lot of time. You know that false teachers don't go around with false teacher shirts on. You, you, you know that, right? How do they come? Well, the Bible says that the devil comes as an angel of light. So what they do is they come in everything. Look, so much of what false teachers say sounds good, sounds right. I, I, it's, it's why sometimes when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, knocks on the door, you're sitting there going, well, it seems like they know Jesus. And it seems like they're saying, I really don't see a distinction between them. An elder has to have the ability to know the truth so well that even the subtleties, when they begin to move off, because here's what an elder understands. There might be a lot of truth, but if there is even a little bit of false doctrine in it, it's enough to make you sick and even kill people in the faith. So from the very beginning, listen, we've seen this throughout church history, these men who are trying to protect those in their congregations. We see it even after the apostolic age. Ap apostolic age was just the time when the apostles uh, were, were alive. When the canon is finished, when the word of God is finished and the last apostle comes, the word of God's not written anymore, it's finished with the book of Revelation with John writing it. After that particular point, we find out that the elders, that the early church fathers were still doing the same thing. You know what they were doing? Protecting the church from false teaching and protecting the church from false 
uh, from false teaching and from false teachers. In fact, sometimes they had to expose false teachers. Listen to Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. It said, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brother, to watch out for those who cause divisions and great obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Contrary to the doctrine you have been taught, they were taught true theology. He says, be careful of those who are going to teach false theology and false doctrines and the church. He says, watch out for them. The Greek word watch out is skopeo, which means to scope out or to identify or to distinguish something. So what he's saying to those elders is this, is you need to sometimes identify where that false teaching comes and expose it. And then he says there, not only do you scope it out, skopeo, he says then you also at the very end, he says you avoid it. So if an elder is supposed to look and see where false teaching is coming from and he avoids it, and he's protecting the flock from false teaching, what is he supposed to do? Not only teach against the teaching, he also has to expose the false teacher. Do you understand that? That's the word of God. I'm just, that's, that, is that not the text of scripture? I'm saying it because, understand that this is very sensitive ground. Because we know when, when in passing, if a pastor says, hey, listen, this guy is teaching this, there's a part of us that sits there and goes, man, don't be judgmental. Don't talk about other people. It just sounds like sour grapes. Mike, the reason you're saying that is because you don't have 27,000 people in your church. You could probably learn something or two. But what you have to understand, and young people, you're, you're especially uh, susceptible to this because you live in a culture where, hey, everything's fine. It's all good. But that may be all of us have opinions, but there is something that is right and what is not. And whatever elder you set apart has to, at times, be able to say, hey, guys, this guy is way off. He's teaching. Now, he doesn't need to do it with arrogance. He could do it with a broken heart. Now, Paul seemed to be a little bit more stern. Paul didn't seem to have a problem with really confronting people, which brings up kind of the next point. The next point is simply this, is not only does he have to defend the faith, he has to oppose false doctrine and be able to oppose really false teachers, but this really culminates in the fact that whoever you set apart has got to have a backbone. He can't be willy-nilly. I mean, you guys got that, right? It doesn't mean that he's arrogant. It doesn't mean that he's mean doesn't mean that he's boastful. We don't want any of that. We'll see that in the qualifications. But what it means is this is a man that has no problem stepping up and doing what is right and protecting his sheep. He has no problem with that. You know, Paul was like this. Uh, Paul, in, in, in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul wrote, but when Cephas, now who is Cephas? Cephas is Peter, right? This is the apostle Peter. And he says, when Cephas came to Antioch, he goes, I opposed him to his face. Can you imagine being opposed by Paul? To the face, I think I would die right then. Paul would be like, Mike, dead, gone. I, I, would, I would die right then, right? And he is that very type A type personality, Paul is what I gather. And when he comes, you know something's up. Hey, Mike, got to talk to you about something. Hey, Peter. And he says, this is what I did. And he, did you notice something? He gave the name of the person. He goes, hey, this is secret confidential. He came and gave the name of the person. And look what he did. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Why did he confront? Because Paul wasn't teaching something wrong with what he said. He was teaching something wrong with his lifestyle and what he was doing. He had a vision from God with all these animals coming, unfolding. Jesus was basically saying, what I make clean, do not call unclean. In other words, the gospel is for everybody, Jew and Gentile. 
And the Jews were having a hard time being around the Gentiles still, even through Christ. They were separating themselves from them. And he says, no, it's not supposed to be that way. The gospel is for the Gentiles as well, not only the Jews. Well, Peter said, okay. He begins to preach this, but then a group of old buddies, the Jews, come and talk around him who don't like the Gentiles still. So he begins to kind of pull back from the Gentiles. And Peter says, or Paul says, bro, I'm going to your face. You are preaching the wrong thing with your life. John says this in in 3 John 9, the Apostle John. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, Diotrephus, he says, who likes to put himself first. Now, that's that's not a good thing, by the way. All right, just what he's writing here. He calls the name. He says he likes to put him first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. So understand something. As an elder, as a pastor, whoever you're setting apart, has got to know the word well. He has got to know doctrine and theology. He needs to have the capability to be able to recognize what is false teaching, not only outside of the church, but within the church. And he has to have the backbone in love to be able to, for the love for the church to do what? To stand up and to be able to protect the flock. Third thing, y'all still try, isn't it amazing how quick time goes? You have so much fun. It's like we've been here for two and a half hours, right? Um, instead of 40 minutes. All right, last one, here we go. Third way in which he leads. You, you lead the flock, how? By shepherding the flock. Shepherding the flock. Here's the third way in which elders lead. Here it is. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. There Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What does it mean to shepherd the flock? Well, we, we kind of have to go to Old Testament because it's Old Testament imagery. When we go to the Old Testament, what we find is when that word shepherding is used, it's always used to describe somebody leading, governing, administering, and overseeing either a small body or a body as the whole, like a nation. Let me give you just some quick examples. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2, the people of God of Israel come to Israel to come to David. They want him to follow and to, or to, to lead them. And he comes and he says, in, past, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. He says, look, God's called you, David, to shepherd, to lead, to administrate, to oversee us. Then we see in Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, the Bible says, He chose David his shepherd, and he took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. Now listen to this last sentence. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So when we get to the New Testament and we hear Paul in, in, in Luke, right in, in Acts 20, and we hear Paul r- 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 writing here in, in these passages, what we, or Peter writing in these passages, when he says shepherd the flock, he's meaning, hey, elders, you're supposed to oversee the church. You're supposed to administer what's going on in the church. Let me give you kind of a picture of this. Now, think Walmart. Because some of you are already thinking of it. Okay, so let me, uh, let me go ahead and think Walmart. So Walmart, you're a manager of a Walmart. Any wa- managers from Walmart? No, good. All right, so because if I'm wrong, then you can't tell me I'm wrong. So Walmart manager sits there, and what he does is he hears from headquarters. 
headquarters go, hey, listen, we're the low-price leader. Is that right? Is that them? The low-price leader? Are they the low-price leader? You guys don't even know. We need to write them and tell them how horrible. Is, are they the low-price leader? I know they're not the blue light. Let's say they're the low-price leader with a little bouncing yellow ball with a smile on it, okay? And so they're the low-price leader. And he says, you're a low-price leader. Here's what our church, is, our church, here is what our corporation is all about. Here are our values. This is our mission statement. This is what we want you to do. Now go to that, that, go to that store, and I want you to implement this plan in that store, and I want you to carry out our mission statement, right? So what does he do? He begins to find, he begins to find different employees, and different employees begin to kind of come around, and as those employees are there, what does he begin to do? He, he begins to train them, and he begins to say, hey, listen, this is, what our, this is what the company is all about. This is what headquarters has instructed us to do. This is what our goal is, and this is how we're going to do it. Then he begins to train each of the people for the job, for the work of that particular uh, Walmart, right? And so everybody gets, begins to be functioning, but at any one time, something can go wrong. Holy cow, there's a long line for 22 ammo. All right, warning, warning, let me go over here, right? Some of you get that, some of you don't. And so, so you have to, put the, the, you have to you know, put the fire out over here. Oh, wait, wait a minute, we got a bad batch of plums over here. Okay, hold on, I'm coming my way. So he's got to go over there, and he's got to kind of oversee and manage these things. Now, at some points, at some point, the employees, they're in it, they're digging it, they're doing a great job, and then one of them are like, hey, listen, uh, how about this idea? And the guy's like, man, that's a brilliant idea. Let's go ahead and do that. You think you could follow that up? Yeah, let's do it. But then somebody comes in like me and goes, hey, listen, we sell a lot of stuff. He goes, but where are the RVs? There's no RV. There's no line with RVs parked at it that we can just come in one-stop shopping and buy an RV. At that particular point, with great love and patience, the manager has to come over and go, hey, listen, um, we're a little bit off task here. We don't sell RVs. Here's why we don't sell RVs. Let me, let me, let me get you over to camping. And, and it's not exactly RVs, but it's kind of RVs. And, but this really follows with what we're ultimately trying to do. I hope that you can see that analogy with how the church is. The church is that, listen, God has laid every. Jesus is ultimately in control of all things. He tells us what it is that our purpose statement is. We even know our purpose statement, don't we? At Celebration, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Let's just do it again because I'm just going to keep doing it until you learn it. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. How simple is that, right? Now, where did we get that? In your mind, Brother Mike, yes, but where did it come from? From the Word of God. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. It's our mission. When you come here, guess what we do? We take you through the training and we let you know what it is all we're all about. Then we say, this is how we are trying to live that out in this local community. Then we begin to equip you for the work of the ministry, as Ephesians 4 ultimately says. And then sometimes, it's amazing, you guys come out and with all your gifts and abilities, and are like, hey, listen, God's calling me to this. This is a ministry I think would be really helpful to what God has called us to. And we sit back and go, man, you guys blow us away. You're exactly right. Do that. Go with that. How can we support you? How can we help you? What money needs to be kind of funneled over to what the ministry that you're doing? And then some of you come and try to sell an RV, right? Some of you come and say, hey, listen, I want to do this. And sometimes, very lovingly, the overseers of the church have to come and very lovingly and say, listen, we love you, that's great. Let's try to navigate you in a little bit different way. That's just not really what it is that God has ultimately called us to do. You guys got that? So that is another responsibility of what an elder. People sit back and they're like, dude, why do you always have to know everything that's going on, Brother Mike? Well, it's kind of my job. That's why. 
I'm, I'm held responsible. We have to make sure that everything is working and functioning together. Now, it's you that does the work. We're just trying to serve and make sure that we're doing everything according to the word of God. Understand? All right, let me give you a couple points of application because some of you, I don't want to wake you up or anything, but let me just give you three points and maybe go deeper in RAM. So three things at points of application. Uh, number one, pray. Number one, pray. You are being asked. I'm, we're trying to lead you to do what it is that God has called you to do. To set apart for yourselves from the body, elders. We went through all that last week. Elders set apart. You are the authority under Christ in the church as a whole. You determine who's in and who's out. So the first thing we need to do is you need to pray for yourself. And you need to pray that God will lead us through this. Can I just say this? I love this church. Is that okay to say? Is it okay for you to say? Absolutely, it's okay. Say, I love this church. Say, uh, okay. say it like you mean it. Say it like you really mean it. One more time, because y'all are just this pathetic. I've seen you wear your underwear outside your britches at the Jaguar game, screaming your head off. Now, I want you to say, say this, say, I love Jesus, and I love his church. Not bad. We'll keep working on it, all right? So I'm going to get the best from you. I know when to stop, all right? So here's the idea. We need to pray. I don't want this to get messed up. I don't want us to be another one of those churches that sit there and say, well, that church used to be doing things for God, and guess what? There's a fracture in the church. There's a disagreement amongst leadership, and now it's fractured. I want you to understand that responsibility weighs on each and every one of its members to set apart the right guys. We don't need just anybody. We need the right guys. So we need to be in prayer that God will use us out of our obedience We'll do what God says, and God will bless it and supernaturally intervene, allowing us to set apart those men that God has called, and then we will set apart. Number two, so we need to pray. Number two, participate. Participating is, right now, let me tell you how to participate. First is by praying. Number two is by looking around. Here's how you look around. You need to begin looking for people already in the church in small groups and everything else who are already leading as elders. They're already teaching. They're already influencing people through the work of the ministry. They're already spending time with people. They already have a shepherd's heart. Here's one of the big mistakes we used to make. Remember, think old church now. Remember, 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 remember um, uh, nom nomination committees? Do you remember this? You'd nominate people to, to serve. And it would be the same 10 people out of 100 people that would nominate. In fact, all the people that would do anything in the church were on the nominating committee. Do you remember that? And they're like, well, I already got 16 things. And this is, this, is, this is the kind of thought process I want you to get away from. This is not what we do here at church, at Celebration. They sit there and go, well, listen, what's-his-name's not doing anything? Maybe if we give him a job and a responsibility, he'll do it. So you give him the name and the responsibility, and it never gets done. Why? Because the guy doesn't do anything, right? So what do you do? You don't look and say, well, listen, this would be a great time for this guy to start studying his Bible, a great time, he's got so much potential, a great time for him to start knowing the word. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put his name into the hat to get him moving. That would be a disaster. What you do is you look around yourself right now in our church and you say, where are there people that have great biblical influence, that are teaching the flock, that are shepherding them? Where are men in this church that when I talk to you, I would sit there and go, you know what? I, I want that guy protecting my spiritual life and the spiritual life of my family. That's the guy that I want. Where is a guy that I believe has the ability to be able to lead well by orchestrating and administrating the church? 
when you begin to look around for that, those are the guys that you are ultimately going to nominate. And let me just get, I know this is hard, but I got to tell you what we're doing, okay? Hang in there for me. You're going to nominate these na- names. The five elders are going to look at these names because there's some things we know that you just don't know. We're to look at these names. We're to try to slim down a group of, of people. Now, if they're all qualified, awesome. If they're all capable of doing the job, great. We're to get those names. We're going to pray. We're going to fast over those names. We're going to interview them. We're going to talk with them. We're going to talk with their wives. We're to talk with their families. We're to find out if the, the, the wife understands what her role would be in the midst of all of this. We're going to get all to the men of that. Then at that particular point, we're going to come back and we're going to submit the names that, we, that you have chosen and the ones that we confirm with from the list that you gave us. We're going to give it back to the church at that point to be able to set apart as elders and then as a congregation come and submit to their authority. Does that make sense? So that's how this whole thing is going to work. Can I just say this in close? There's not a whole lot of gospel in there, but can I say this? We do this in light of the gospel. Look, all of this stuff that I've been trying to teach you has not been to get the, the horrible pastor award by giving you eschatology and making your life miserable. The reason that I've been laying this out is because we want to submit in every facet of the word of God. We want to make sure that we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we want to make sure that things to the best of our ability and trust and faith in God, that we're doing what it is that God has called us to do. And so what we do is the reason we're doing this is because of the gospel. I wouldn't be here preaching to you if it wasn't for the gospel. You wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for the gospel. We wouldn't be setting part of men if it wasn't for the gospel. You say, what is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It begins with bad news and the fact that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have rebelled against God, not only unwillingly because we were born sinners, but willfully, high-handedly sinned against God and sinned against our conscience when we knew what we were doing was wrong. We chose to do it anyway. And because of that rebellion, the Bible says the consequence of that sin is death. The consequence of that sin is death because we have sinned against an infinite creator, but yet God in his infinite love chose to save his people. So he sends his only son who dies, who comes born of a virgin, so he had no sin, and then he lives a perfect life. He does what you and I could never possibly do, fulfills the law, obeys the law perfectly, and you know what he gets for it? He's nailed to a cross, and he dies. And the wrath of God for those hours pours out on him. And when he says it is finished, it is done, and the wrath of God for those to whom he was saved is completely dried up, gone. And he says, if you will repent of your sin, turn from it, recognize yourself as a sinner, place your faith completely in what Jesus Christ did, his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says that God will save you. Just call out to him. You don't even need a preacher. You don't even need a priest. All you do is right where you are, call out for mercy and grace and belief, and God will save you right where you are. I'm going to ask my brother to come at this time. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to have a time of response. What I need you to do is one is respond to the gospel in salvation. And the other two is in light of the gospel. Understand what we have to do and what our responsibility as a church to obey what God is calling us to do. And I'm going to ask somebody, just pray where you are. Let's pray. Would, would, you, would you join me in prayer? Would you do that? Pray that God would lead and direct in this particular way. Let's pray. This altar is open. I'd love to talk with you. If you need to come down and pray, please do whatever you need to do. Get right with God. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the benevolent church that we have. That God, that they are even patient with their pastor. 
God, when he's trying to teach through difficult things. God, keep us unified. Keep us together. Keep us seeking to do your will. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you respond at this time? sin.